0: Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast where Nigel Farage and Nikolai Hubble give you a unique take on what's really going on in the world of finance, investing and politics. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Hello, welcome to this week in review with Nigel Farage. Except it's not gonna be a week in review, it's gonna be a reader mailbag question and answer session. You've been sending in lots of good emails asking for Nigel's opinion on all sorts of things and I thought it was time that he uh, he answered your questions. So Nigel, here we go, your first question Uh, I'm not going to name the readers. Um, The first question is, can you please ask Nigel to give his views on the current issues being experienced by UK fishermen? What does he think
1: about all the form filling? How can that be made easier? Well, there are two points here to fishing, aren't there? One is access to stocks, what we can actually catch. And the other is access into the European markets, which is not just affecting fishing, it's affecting meat exports and several other things as well. Um, On the first point, look, I've made it very, very clear from the beginning. I thought the fisheries deal was absolutely awful. Uh, By far, well, Northern Ireland and fishing seem to be the worst parts of this so-called deal. Uh, Overall, overall, I'm pleased the Brexit wars are over, but there's a lot of tidying up to do. On fishing, we're going to have to have a rethink on this. I was talking yesterday to... Uh, the Secretary of the Handline Association in Cornwall. These are the guys that catch fish on, 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 on hooks and lines, sustainable fishing. Um, you know, and it turns out that for bluefin tuna, we get a quota of forty-eight tons a year, and the French and Spanish get twenty-four thousand tons. <laughs> Just an example, you know, of how we're not really getting what we need for the little under ten-meter inshore day boats, the sustainable bit of our fishing industry. Frankly. Uh, the increase in quotas are are derisory. So that side of it, uh, I still view as work in progress over the next few years, because what we've got isn't good enough. You know, we're we're an independent coastal state. We own the waters, but not the fish within them. That ain't good enough. In terms of access to the European markets and in terms of all this form filling that, uh, you know, we're told by the prime minister that the deal is quota free and tariff free. um, And I do understand that, you know, if you're exporting, you get an iPhone and you tap in the goods you've got, and it goes across the border, rather like agricultural goods do, coming in from Canada and America, and vice versa. Uh, but it would seem that they're holding us to ransom ever so slightly, because uh, how can I put this? They're playing silly buggers. I, I mean, when a Dutch lo- when a lorry driver going into the Netherlands has his ham sandwich confiscated. You wonder why, what's going on? Why are they making it so difficult? Well, we found out over that, why? They're saying all this will go away, provided the UK promises that London won't become Singapore on Thames. all right? So they're trying to make life as difficult as they can, to put as much pressure on Boris Johnson as possible so that we don't diverge and become competitive, which was their fear, from the 23rd of June, 2016. Um, And the slight concern here is they appear with all of this to have the upper hand over us. Now, is this gonna be ironed out? I suspect that it will, but what price is Boris Johnson prepared to pay? for it to be ironed out. And you can see just how manipulative the European Commission are. The way they're, I mean, it's quite clever. You know, you've got to admire them. I can't stand them, but you've got to admire them in terms of how they play the game. They're a damn sight cleverer than we are. So that's where we are. They are making life difficult for lots and lots of sectors because they want to hold the whip hand over us. I said a few weeks before the deal was signed that I was concerned they might hold the sword of Damocles and that right now is what they're doing.
0: The next question from Marita is closely related to this. It's what you've just mentioned, but applied to the financial industry. Many thanks for the updates, appreciated. But is, is it right to say that Brexit is in the bag when, as far as I understand, the agreement doesn't extend to financial services?
1: The agreement doesn't extend to our biggest financial industry in the United Kingdom. No, what we've done is agreed to pay 25 billion quid over the next 30, 40 years um we've agreed to hive off northern ireland betray our fishermen so that mercedes can sell their cars tariff free in the uk look you know i think anyone that follows this knows i would much rather have left with a clean break i think that would have been far better short-term disruption would have been greater but longer term we'd we'd have been in a better position however when it comes to financial services there are things that the city of london does in terms of providing liquidity in the money markets, for argument's sake, that nowhere else in Europe can compete with. And do you know something? They never will be able to. And given the way the world is changing, you know, Lloyds of London, for argument's sake, you know, the, the, the insurance, reinsurance market. I mean, you know, 11% of their business takes place in the European time zone. But think about the world and how rapidly it's changing. Europe will become less consequential economically to us as time goes by. And the more ability we have, the more freedom we have, which is why the earlier question was so important, to sign other trade deals, to do other things. So look, it's, you know, it gives nothing to financial services. But I do think there are many areas in financial services where, frankly, they need us a bit more than we need them.
0: I think that extends to more than just financial services. And that's what I've never really understood about any of this is that trades mutually beneficial. That's the whole point. So if they're making it difficult. They're damaging themselves just as much as anyone else. And that's true on exports as much as imports. But let's move on to the next reader question. We've got a long tradition in the newsletter industry of whenever someone writes in saying, I bet you won't publish this, or I bet you won't (laughs) respond to this. Sure enough. We make an effort uh, to, to go the extra mile to publish or respond, so I'm ready, I, I
1: don't know what it is, but I'm
0: ready. <laughs> You've received your, your first one. Uh, I do assume from the outset that I will never get a reply, as most people it seems would rather blame the government rather than come up with any sensible solutions to this problem we are all facing right now due to the pandemic. I'm sorry to say, but is it, it is a cheap way out to always blame the government. And it seems Nigel would rather do that than offer up any viable alternatives to the lockdown. So please, can Nigel or anyone else in his team actually answer? What alternatives to
1: lockdown do we have? Okay, I've spent 30 years in the public arena. Uh, firstly, never shying away from questions. I've always tried to give straightforward answers. Whether people like the answers or not is up to them. But I've always tried to be very, very straight. and. I also spent my political career, and, and, and I hope my career in business before and now, um, not just sitting at the back of the room chucking beer bottles. Was very, I, I agree with you, anyone can do that. Anyone can condemn and criticize, but actually offering constructive suggestions to the way forward. And it's why, on the day last March, when Lombardy declared a regional emergency, I said we should have closed the borders. But that day, 17 flights came in from Milan, Malpensa. So I've always tried to say, I think this could be a better way of doing things rather than just saying, you're making a complete horlicks of it. Have a series of lockdowns, significantly cut infection rates. We're not looking at what's happened over the last couple of weeks. Uh, You know, huge amounts of spread, of course, occur within households and generally, Of course, the poorer the district, the more densely people are housed, the more rapidly the virus spreads. Here's my problem with all of this. The big divide that's opening up in the country is between the public sector and the private sector. If you work for the public sector, you will not lose your job, all right? You will not lose your pension benefits. But if you're one of the six million, you're one of the six million that operates and works either running a small limited company as a director or you're a sole trader or whatever it may be. Now, there are some of those doing very well. You know, if you're in the building game, you're busier than you've ever been in your life. But if you're in hospitality, entertainment, a whole raft of other areas, you know, you've either gone bust already or you're about to go bust. And I do feel that the complete shutting down of what are deemed to be non-essential services is 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 driving a, a it is imposing a terrible hammer blow on these people so i want the economy to open up i understand the need for precautions you know i get the hand washing thing i the mask thing is slightly more questionable but i still get it i understand it if it helps us to open things up i'm prepared to pay that price um and, and i just feel the closure of non-essentials, frankly, has been a mistake. Uh, And I think that, uh, you know, frankly, frankly, if a pub or restaurant is able to accommodate people uh, in in, in, in a relatively secure environment, they should be allowed to do so. So I'm talking about not a complete lockdown, a sensible opening up that allows millions of people to stay afloat because otherwise, you know we come out of this at the end of it with terrible damage to i mean I, you know the mental health of this country i mean goodness knows what must it be like for people in their 80s and 90s living on their own it, it must just be awful uh, terrible uh, we'll finish up with with debt well we already have it but we'll, we'll finish up with debt uh, just off the richter scale and millions of people unemployed so so you know there comes a moment you know, when the cure is worse than the disease. And I think lockdowns are that.
0: And you can question when that point is, but it's just inherently true that at some point uh, it is like that. The part of the question that bothered me, which is why I really wanted to ask to you is, it assumes the government needs to tell us to lock down um, rather than allowing each of us to decide for ourselves, you know, who is vulnerable, who should lock down, yeah. uh, who should avoid whatever the different places are the infections are taking place, it assumes that we wouldn't do that without the government telling us to do it, which um, which I think is is just false. It's a bit. My uh, my own question that I like to ask you um, is all about Biden's plans for for the economy and the global economy. Even um, what do you think those mean
1: for financial markets going forwards? Well, look. Um- It was a big day yesterday, you know, the departure of the Donald, off to Mar-a-Lago. Biden coming in, uh, giving a speech that could well have been written for Obama in 2008, full of platitudes, full of hope of unity. Well, we'll see. I wish him luck with that. Um, On the economics of it, look, he's gone for, you know, he's going for a 1.9 trillion stimulus program, which I've every reason to think will pass through Congress. It's another huge sugar rush for the American economy, funded by government, funded by debt, and that's why the stock markets are so strong. That's why they've been strong over the course of the last few weeks. Uh, you know, longer term, I have genuine concerns um, about what a Biden administration with higher taxes, higher regulation, uh, probably, increase fuel costs, which is a huge factor in any economy. So I've got real concerns about that. And longer term, I think it's reasonable to have concerns that if you keep pumping money, if you keep increasing the money supply and pumping money into the American system, you've already seen interest rates hit 1%. So you get the worry that you could find overheating. you could find inflation becoming a political issue again, having not been one basically for 30 years. But short term, the markets love it the markets love it because it's more free money and what it means is the rich will get richer and the poor will get poorer i think jeff bezos and um, elon musk and the rest of the gang would have been cracking open bottles of non-alcoholic elderflower wine last night as is the west coast thing um uh, so yeah you know i mean look the consensus out there, huge consensus amongst financial market analysts is that because more and more money is being pumped in, because we're becoming more and more reliant on high tech, that the NASDAQ, the Dow are going to continue this fantastic bull market. Um, And I can understand, Nick, why they say that. But I do think, I do think, and maybe not tomorrow, but I do think the warning signs that are building up are becoming very clear.
0: One of the things that uh, you, me, Biden and Trump all seem to agree on is China. And I've noticed that um, Biden is so far at least suggesting that he's going to be hawkish on China, just as Trump was. I noticed as well that you put out a video saying that the next big dramatic issue uh, for, for you, politically at least, is going to be all about confronting China and the issues in China. Uh, so why don't you give us an update
1: on that? I don't think we I mean, we've, we've just not faced up to the truth about China. We've just not faced up to. I mean, you know, can you imagine if any other country, you know, in the European time zone, decided to open up internment camps, and put millions of people through a re-education program, sterilise the women? I mean, I mean, you know, we would be saying that this is a repeat of the 1930s. Not Donald Trump. I mean, some of these arguments are extraordinary, but it isn't just their treatment of the Uyghur minority. And it isn't just the fact that democracy in Hong Kong is being smashed to pieces, 53 people arrested last week, um, things deteriorating almost by the day in terms of liberty and freedom in Hong Kong, indirect breach by the way of the agreement they signed with us. But it's the way in which they are infiltrating almost every aspect of our lives in the West, whether it's the money they put into schools and universities, whether it's the buying off of retired politicians, senior diplomats, you know, getting them on the payroll, being part of Team China, uh, whether it's the fact that they steal, just openly steal all sorts of our industrial secrets. Uh, you know, we, we, we are witnessing a a very unpleasant communist regime that wants to take the world over. And it's about time we woke up to that. And I see that as a threat. And what's interesting, Nick, is since I said that, you know, at the new year, that I thought this was the next big political battle that we had to wake up to and try and do something about and make ourselves less dependent on China. uh, And it's not easy, by the way, because if you order something on Amazon right now to be delivered to your house, Amazon won't tell you where that product's made and I've opened lots of parcels here, and I go, ah! I didn't want to buy anything made in China and yet I had no. So things like that are are, are the sort of campaigns that I do want to fight. But what's interesting is since I said that on New Year's Day, I am now coming under daily attack from Chinese state media, daily attack. Articles about me in the Global Times. There's some bloke called Chen who works in Brussels who's tweeting all the time that, you know, apparently I'm some complete joke. I'm some, you know, uh, ridiculous fantasist. Well, if I'm that ridiculous, why are they so busy attacking me? And, And this is the point. You cannot criticize China at all. The Australians found this out. The Australians found this out. You know, they dared to voice some criticism and suddenly they're threatened with huge tariffs on their wine um exports and all the rest of it so so i just want people to wake up to what is happening not just in china with this regime but the extent to which the extent to which the political classes and business classes in this country are selling us out to china for their own personal benefit it doesn't exactly map like tracing paper but very often they're the same people who were happy for us to be governed by brussels too so I think there is a big education campaign here. And you know, I admired Trump for, for, for daring to stand up and say this. We have a problem in this country. Boris Johnson, self declared file, happy for Huawei to be involved in our 5G networks, wouldn't join Mike Pompeo, the outgoing, the outgoing minister from DC, when he accused China of genocide against the Uyghurs. So I don't know what Biden is going to do. Uh, you know, Biden's tendencies will always be towards the global order. And what have the global order now? Well, on the 30th of December, the European Union announced a new trade and investment deal with the Chinese Communist Party. So this is a very, in some ways, it's a similar battle to the battles that I fought before, because the enemies within, as I see it, are exactly the same people. Uh, but it's going to be, it's going to be even harder than achieving Brexit this. You know, to cut ourselves off from being dependent on China. It's going to be a huge issue. And ultimately it will mean, and this is difficult to say because not a, lot, not a lot of people like this, but ultimately it will mean us having to manufacture more things at home and paying a higher price for it. But I think if we can afford it, it is a price worth pack
0: those criticisms from the chinese are, are remarkably familiar to uh, not so long ago when there was the european union issuing the same sort of nonsense but um oh yes oh yes from the australian perspective um they demanded an investigation of, of the pandemic and they've challenged china on Uyghurs and on 5g with huawei and they've really copped it um there's a huge amount of exports that are no longer going to china um there's a huge amount of economic damage that's, that's broken out since so It's gonna be a big issue if anyone thinks this isn't gonna matter. Well, I I just think you're wrong and I think Australia proves the point. Nigel, thanks for joining us.